This podcast may spoil anything that's aired on Disney Plus so far, as well as anything that has happened in the comics, and will have us speculating on the connection to things that happen in the comics and where they might be going with it in this show. Yes, so if you're not all caught up with the TV show and you want to avoid spoilers or theorizing based off of stuff that happened in the comics, you might want to skip this. Or wait until everything's aired. Yes. Welcome to Welcome to Westview. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And here in episode three of WandaVision, now in color. Yes, WandaVision, now in color. So last time I said that the WandaVision episodes didn't have names. They were just episode one, episode two, which is not the case. They actually do have names. Episode one was called Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience, and episode two was called Don't Touch That Dial. Mm -hmm. Although since we made up names for the first two episodes, now we're committed to doing that, so we're gonna call this episode Must Somehow Form a Family. Mm -hmm. But the reason I thought they were only called episode one, episode two, episode three is because I was using Wikipedia for reference, Mm -hmm. which is a perfectly fine reference for our other podcasts, for shows that have been off the air for longer than some of our listeners have been alive. Mm. But for a show that's airing currently, apparently it's not always up to date. And I bring this up because I wanted to mention something else. Mm -hmm. I said this at the end of the last episode, but I kind of wanted to put it up front at the beginning, which is that we're avoiding reading too much about WandaVision while we're recording this podcast because we don't want to be influenced So there are bound to be a bunch of Easter eggs that we miss. And if you see some, tweet them at us or let us know on Facebook. And maybe we'll start a segment where we point out all the Easter eggs that our listeners have sent our way. So you can tweet us at I Love TV Zines or you can join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Mm. So... This is the episode where stuff gets real, which is unfortunate-ish. Like, I am excited that the story's moving forward, because I feel like the big problem with the Marvel Netflix stuff is that it's too much spinning the wheels, not enough plot actually moving forward. But I was also really loving the exploration of different eras of television. Yeah, I was having such a good time in episodes one and two. This episode, I loved... But as you say, things are getting real, and I'm concerned about what we're going to have going forward. For me, the problem with the Netflix MCU shows isn't that they were spinning their wheels. It's that they were grim, and they had no joy. This show, the first two episodes, even though it was ominous and unsettling, there were still real moments of fun. The show was having fun with us. And this episode still is. And I just, I hope we stay like that. Uh, See, I don't know. It's just stuff like the Jessica Jones has Kilgrave in a water prison and 
it just feels like they're like, okay, we had so many episodes, so we just need to fill them with nothing. Well, I mean, we had problems with the same things, just different problems. Like, your problem with that is that it was wheel spinning. My problem with that is that it was unrelenting. Mm. So, you know, tomato, tomato. Also, this is something really, really different from the MCU. And I feel like the MCU is at its strongest when it's riffing off other material. Right, when they're doing, this is what it would look like if there were superheroes, but they were doing a heist film. Or this is what it would look like if there were superheroes doing a spy thriller or a Cold War era thriller. Actually, I honestly don't even like the Captain America movies that much. It, it's more like... The well, a- by spy thriller, I actually was talking about Agent Carter. Ah, yeah. Yeah. It's more, like like you said, the Ant-Man movies are just heist movies with the twist that the characters can shrink and grow. Right. And I'm like, that's that's cool. It is cool to have a heist movie where there's a gimmick beyond it just being a heist movie. Or, or hey, what would it be if Farscape was an AU with superheroes? Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are good too. And I think the first MCU Spider-Man movie was good because it was a John Hughes movie, but with a superhero protagonist. Yeah. Like, it's good when they're just playing off of a certain theme. I think we said this in the first episode, or we've said it on another one of our podcasts, but I really like it when superheroes are a conceit and not a genre. Mm. Mm. I really like WandaVision because it's sort of a meta-narrative about TV. Yes. And I don't want it to move into... I know a lot of people like them, but I think the Avengers movies are kind of boring a lot of the time. Yeah, I know. I think so, too. I, I... I don't want to lose my talking about the MCU cred here on our WandaVision podcast, but the Avengers movies are so boring. And don't watch them. I like a good action movie, and there's usually some solid stuff in there. I appreciate Endgame and... Infinity War. Infinity War. I appreciate that they kind of moved away from the other Avengers movies thing where fight scenes were just people punching each other because... It always feels like it's a really uncreative thing that people do with superhero movies. And mm-hmm. I don't want this to become another MCU property. I want this to maintain the personality it's had. And I appreciate that it's moving forward, but it also is making me a little nervous. But also, also, this episode of WandaVision has more emotional resonance, to me anyway, than every mcu movie put together i cried during this episode i mean people who listen to us know that i'm kind of a sap for television and movies and a lot of things make me cry but this made me cry when she's singing the lullaby to okay Okay, we'll get to it we'll get to it (laughs) oh but uh, speaking of jumping to the end to kind of wrap up what you were saying at the end when it goes widescreen and we're in you know, a movie territory as opposed to television territory. I just hope that we don't stay there. I hope we go back to Westview. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we will. I, I'm pretty confident that we will, that that's just the same thing as in the first episode when we stepped back and saw someone in the control room. Yeah. So, fingers crossed. I don't want to call it a gimmick, but the TV gimmick is really the strong thing so far. And the fact that... The characters sort of have room to breathe, which is not something we really got from any of the Marvel movies. I I saw this thing where someone was talking about how the Marvel movies are basically 
kind of relying on you assuming all of these people have relationships not really based on anything we see on screen. Well, I mean, the fact that it's riffing on sitcoms, on domestic sitcoms specifically, means that, yeah, there's a space for characters to be domestic, for characters to have relationships and get into situations that are not all action movies. Mm -hmm. I do think we're going to go back to the TV landscape, though, because... We're only at the 70s in this episode. We've still got the 80s, 90s, 2000s, yeah. 2010s. Okay, I saw a thing. I don't remember it exactly, but I do remember that they said that further influences are Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Full House. So we've got at least a couple more. Uh... Yeah, so every week before we watch the episode, I try to speculate what it's going to be. And this episode is most heavily riffing off Brady Bunch. Yes. And I really think that next week for the 80s episode, its strongest influence is going to be family ties. So we'll see if I'm right about that. But that's what I think of as the foundational 80s family sitcom. Which, uh, for those of you who are, who are unfamiliar, it's a Michael J. Fox show about a conservative kid with liberal parents. And it's wacky because normally kids are liberal and parents are conservative, but they, it, they, they flipped it. It's funny that you said it's about Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Because it was actually supposed to be about the parents, but Michael J. Fox was the breakout actor. And in fact, he's not even the only breakout child star on that show. Uh, Justine Bateman plays his sister. Oh. I was like, is that the is that the show where Brad Pitt was boner or whatever? But I think that was family. Uh, it was the one with Kirk Cameron. I think you're thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio being the cousin Oliver in Growing Pains. Ah, okay. But the... I'm pretty sure there was a character named Boner in the Kirk Cameron show, though. There is a character named Boner, yes, but it's not... It's not someone famous. Yeah. The weird thing is teeny tiny Leo DiCaprio, who I'm... Pretty sure is actually credited as Leo DiCaprio uh, in Growing Pains as a child that they adopt. It's like how uh, Lawrence Fishburne was credited as Larry Fishburne when he was Cowboy Curtis on, um, what's it called? Pee-wee's Playhouse. And when he was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, whichever one he was in. Oh, that's interesting. I think Dream Warriors. Sure. I haven't seen a lot of I horror movies. Yeah, I marathoned them back when, uh. People just put horror movies on YouTube and nothing meant anything because the internet was the Wild West. Speaking of Michael J. Fox being the star, uh, just a fun tidbit is that when he was on Family Ties, the first time he was submitted for an Emmy, he was submitted for an Emmy as Best Supporting Actor, mm -hmm. and he lost. And then in subsequent Emmys, he was submitted twice as Best lead actor and won both of those so he he did actually come in and kind of take over the show he urkled he urkled he he fonzied mm. so as a reminder wanda maximoff the scarlet witch and vision the vision have woken up have arrived in this sort of odd television town which keeps shifting eras of television, and they're living by these very specific sitcom rules that only occasionally break when something happens that's sort of outside the sitcom narrative. Yes. The last episode ended with everything turning to color because we were dealing with earlier sitcoms. We don't know why they're there, and we don't know who's doing this. I strongly suspect that Wanda has placed them there herself. We keep seeing sword agents kind of either watching them from outside of the bubble 
or infiltrating the bubble. Mm. But I don't believe that they are the ones who created this. I believe they're trying to deal with this and that Wanda's the one who created it. Yeah. Uh, Maracruz on our uh, Facebook page put forth the idea that Wanda started it, but she's lost control, which I do think is a really strong theory. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me, especially because, I mean... Are we looking at like a House of M situation here? That's... I I can't help but think of House of M. You should explain House of M for our non-comics reading listeners. Or comics reading listeners who haven't read House of M. Okay. So I'm not going to do this every episode in that... uh, House of M kind of requires you to explain Avengers Disassembled, which causes uh, you to have to explain A Year in the Life, which is uh, a comic series that I love very much, but is sort of this weird linchpin for a lot of really uh, intense Marvel continuity. Yes. All right. After finding out that she had children who died and that her friends had wiped her memories of those children... Uh, Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, had a nervous breakdown. Uh, she created sort of, I was going to say illusions, but she she basically kept on altering reality around her friends to punish uh, them for taking away the memories of her children. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up getting into a fight with Doctor Strange, who basically mind-crushed her. There's not really a good way to... He basically he, he he triumphed in a mental battle. Yeah, he used the eye of Agamotto to kind of shatter her mind because when someone's having a breakdown, the thing that they really need is to have their psyche shattered by a giant magical eye. Well, I mean, to go back to the sitcom history that we're dealing with here, it's like the idea that you should slap a hysterical person to snap them out of it. Yeah, you're not going to make the situation better, which it didn't after Magneto came and kicked everyone's asses and was like, okay, you need to leave my daughter alone. You're making things actively worse. He he took her away to uh, Genosha to recover the mutant nation. And while she was there, she ended up basically creating her own alternate reality where everyone could be happy because their fondest desires were granted. She tried to use her powers to create an alternate world where everyone was happy. Except that's not really how life works. That's not how happiness works. So everyone got their greatest wish granted, except that just led to other problems. And eventually everyone kind of found out about it. They attacked her again. They sort of broke the reality and returned to the main reality. Uh, But as a result, 90-whatever percent of all mutants lost their powers. So... The, the relevant thing is the reality she created to try to specifically, I mean, it is to get everyone their heart's desires, but specifically to bring her kids back to life. So you can see why this is, we suspect, informing what's happening in WandaVision. Yeah, it seems like this may be a thing where Wanda has maybe not created a whole reality, but at least created a small bubble of altered reality where she can make these things come true which is a huge expansion of her powers from the mcu which basically have kind of amounted to energy manipulation like some light energy manipulation telekinesis telepathy but only a little bit in age of ultron and then kind of not after that well i mean if we've established anything i think it's that the mcu doesn't know what wanda's powers do right remember the description of 
Pietro and Wanda. He's fast. She's weird. Yeah. Which, honest to God, would it have been that hard for them to say she alters reality? I mean, yes, because what does that mean? Like, what are the limits to that power? Well, that's honestly been a huge issue with Wanda Maximoff in the comics, because she started out having a power that was hex spheres. Like, she would point at things and things would go wrong, because hexes were just a thing that you could do. Like, Yeah, her ability, her mutant ability is probability manipulation Mm. so she can make bad things more likely to happen well in the silver age it was just hexes right but that's the way it was explained in the modern age when everything has to have a scientific explanation by the way i feel so stupid because i've been talking about the uh shapes that appear in this show as uh, as hives because i figured it was an aim thing they're hexagons they're hexes hexes Hexes, because her thing is hexes But eventually, uh, hexes became probability manipulation. Later, probability manipulation became reality manipulation. And also, she learned real magic at some point, which is separate from that, but... I mean, my favorite kind of explanation of her powers that the comics give us is in A Year in the Life, when they're on a plane that has had a piece blown out, so it's, it's losing pressure, it's depressurizing Mm -hmm. and she throws a chair kind of towards where the the hole in the hull is and she says out loud because it's the 80s this is very unlikely to work luckily my power is to change likelihoods and it holds yeah 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 Uh, it it is a big thing (laughs) it's a big thing for most of comics where people just explain everything at length preparing for the age of podcasts right we've been talking for 20 minutes and we haven't even gotten to the opening credits yet so we definitely should give shade to people who talk about things at length speaking of the opening credits how much do you love the opening credits here i love these opening credits i i first of all i love that they do different opening credits every episode Mm. i'm kind of a sucker for any time a television show changes its opening credits like once upon a time okay once upon a time did like a credit i don't want to say couch gag because it wasn't a joke but they, they did a credit thing where there was a symbol in the bottom corner of the screen that gave you a hint as to what was going to happen in that episode but i actually don't mean that i mean things like superstar the episode of buffy where the opening credits change so that it looks like Jonathan is the star because he cast the spell to make himself the star. Why, look, it's the star of the show. Exactly. Or Fringe did this thing where Fringe also deals with the parallel timelines and the Fringe credits kind of changed when they went to the parallel timeline. And then... At one point, they go back in time, and the credits change to have, like, an 80s aesthetic. Uh, I'm a sucker for that. So I love that the WandaVision credits change every episode. And, of course, these are great. They are very 70s. Okay, you said when we were watching it that they reminded you of... uh... The Brady Bunch. Okay, so they are the Brady Bunch in that we have the thing where the image comes across the screen, and there's one large image... And then three small images, right? Mm -hmm. All of them had hair of gold like their mother. Except the big image is Wanda, and the three small images are Wanda. 
And then, you know, the big image is vision and the three small images are vision. But unlike the Brady Bunch where this was the whole credits, this is only a piece of the credits. And also, instead of being squares, they are hexes. Yes. What it really reminded me of, outside of the framing device of the hexes with the character portraits, it really reminded me of the Mary Tyler Moore opening credits, where it's just the characters doing a bunch of different stuff around town that we never see them doing. It's not implausible that they would do these things, but they're not the sort of things we ever see the characters do. Like, the Mary Tyler Moore show opening credits has her, like, walking a giant dog or helping school kids across the street. And it's like, we never see her with a giant dog. We never see her walking school kids around the street. I guess it's plausible it's something she could do. But it really reminds me of that. And also kind of, uh, we, we haven't watched the show, but... I saw the. Uh, I looked up the opening credits to Phyllis, which is the lesser-known spinoff of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yes, the the cursed Mary Tyler Moore spinoff. Yeah, which had two main character actresses die. But yes, Phyllis. We we can't get into another tangent because we've hit so many and we haven't started the episode. But Phyllis was a super cursed show. They literally two of the actresses died. Like. Yeah. But it ran for two seasons. That's better than a lot of spinoffs, I guess. I guess. It was just, I mean, it, it had a lot of bad luck, but also it was a terrible idea from the ground up to build a show around Phyllis's character. She's I mean, an antagonist, right? And not like in a fun way where you would want to spend 25 minutes with her. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Phyllis. I'm Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, and I love Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman is great. I was going to say she never really got her shot, but she was at least nominated for an Oscar, so. She won both Oscars and Emmys. She's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't like that she gets pigeonholed into old lady roles where the funny thing is that she's not sexy, when in fact she is, like, a vibrant and dynamic woman. Like, that didn't happen to Betty White. Yeah. Oh, we forgot it during our recap. Uh, we, we started with talking about how they were trapped in this town, and we didn't talk about the big thing, which was the last episode ended with Wanda suddenly several months pregnant. Ah, yes, yes. So the episode proper opens with, uh, after the very fun opening credit scene of Wanda and Vision kind of going around Westview, riding bikes, and setting up for the baby. Yes, and I want to point out that when they're setting up for the baby, Mm -hmm. we see Vision putting together a swing set in what is clearly the Brady's backyard. Mm, Yes. Also- AstroTurf. (laughs) Yes. Also, one of the lines to the theme song is, one in one is more than two, because they're a family, but also- Yeah. Also, Wanda is pregnant as hell, as the uh, cleverly named Dr. Nielsen reveals. Dr. Nielsen. I do sort of like that the humor's taken kind of a swerve into this very broad, I'm assuming Brady Bunch-esque, you know, everyone has big reactions to joke lines. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that there wasn't some of that earlier on, but it really does feel like the humor's a lot broader in this episode than it was earlier on. I think we have some non-American listeners, and so I'm not sure if they know, so we should let them know that the joke is that Nielsen families are how television ratings work. Nielsen families are the homes where what they watch every week is recorded, and then that 
is how we determine, you know, rank. Basically, it's a statistical survey, and then that's how ratings are determined. That's weird, isn't it? That there's just a group of families that become Nielsen families, and they get the little thing they put on their TV, and then that's sort of how ratings are determined. So, I don't know how many families have a thing on their TV. I know that a lot of families just keep a log, and I know that because I was briefly in Nielsen household. Ooh. Yes. I wonder how that works now in a kind of, not post-TV, but the way we watch TV has changed so much. Well, when I did it, streaming wasn't a big deal yet, but time-shifting was, so there was a place to indicate if you had time-shifted or not. Mm. But If you'd watched it when it was on or if you'd watched it later due to DVR or what have you. Right, but the Nielsen's actually don't track Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. Because it would blow everything else out of the water. Well, it's kind of a thing where Netflix viewership numbers are not publicly available. So you never really know what is actually popular on a streaming service other than, you know, what they say. Anyway, so Dr. Nielsen tells Wanda that she is pregnant with a baby. Four months pregnant, even though... They first discovered her pregnancy 12 hours ago. Vision is visibly freaking out about this. He's really upset and concerned, but Wanda isn't. Wanda is taking everything very in stride. Yeah, it's almost as though she... Is in control of the situation. Is in control of the situation. Also, Dr. Nielsen is being subtly sexist okay so number one is not subtle but number two i did want to talk about this because he says to uh to help women with their weak minds understand what's happening to their bodies they talk about the fetuses in terms of fruit so first it's the size of a pear and then it's the size of a papaya then a grapefruit a pineapple and a honeydew and the thing is that's Still, how they talk about it. Yeah, you, we, we had that app when you were pregnant that used the fruit size thing. Yeah, when I was pregnant, I had an app on my phone that, yeah, used fruit to indicate how big Sam was. Oh, and it wasn't just per month. It was every week a different indicator of how big she was. I liked at one point it said she was as big as a pomegranate seed. And then later, several weeks later, she was the size of a pomegranate. <laughs> so... Wanda kind of, she does the sort of flat mouth smile when he makes the little sexist, I was going to say joke, but it's not really a joke. He's, it's played by the narrative as a joke, but it's just the condescending statement that he makes. Yeah. Uh, Vision is like, okay, but what fruit is it, you know, after like three hours or six hours, I guess they had sex after the tree branch thing from the last episode. And this is presumably the next day so maybe it's been like 36 hours vision says 12 hours but it's been like 36 the doctor's like okay well you seem healthy just keep me updated by the way i know we talked about this before but in the comics in the year in the life after wanda found out that she was pregnant she went to dr strange to confirm that it was a real pregnancy and dr strange goes on for like two pages talking about how real the pregnancy is yeah it's not a mystical pregnancy that's going to get retconned and then they retconned it and i know that this makes you angry Mm -hmm. and it made wanda angry too as previously discussed (laughs) yes but importantly in the comics when wanda was pregnant 
She's pregnant throughout basically the whole length of year and the life. She's actually pregnant for nine months, not, spoiler alert, a single episode. Yes. So Vision walks the doctor outside and the doctor tells him that he is leaving for vacation. He's going to Bermuda hmm, on which, vacation. Which is not Tahiti, that weird program that I guess brought Coulson back from the dead in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but apparently that's a running thing in it. Oh, I didn't know that was a... Okay. One of the things is, oh, where was Coulson? He was in Tahiti, and Tahiti is apparently the program that they use to bring dead people back to life, I guess. I didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. either. Yeah. So the doctor says that he's going to Bermuda. He heads out. And Vision waves to Herb, his neighbor, who was in the neighborhood watch last episode. He's trimming the hedges and he kind of keeps going after he's done with the hedges. Like after he, he goes through the hedges and into the wall. He between... starts cutting through the concrete wall that is between their two properties. Mm -hmm. And he has kind of a manic look in his eyes as he's doing it. I feel like... Well, and, and Vision says, you know, he, he makes it a joke. He says, oh, Herb, looks like you uh, went a little too far with the trimming there. And Herb's like, oh, looks like I did. But he doesn't stop. And I feel like this is Herb as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent trying to literally break through whatever Wanda has put up. Like, it's being interpreted as him cutting through the concrete. But I think it's deeper than that i think it's deeper than that and also it's another one of those unsettling things because there's no way that hedge trimmer should be cutting through a concrete wall so it's another place where we are forced to reckon with how unreal this place is and we start we i mean obviously the reality of the show is breaking a lot more in this episode i think this is the heaviest uh, i mean obviously this is the heaviest episode for breaks in the reality of whatever narrative has en ensnared them so far so far but there's more of that kind of awkward pause, like when the boss was choking, mm -hmm. where Vision is like, he does the whole sitcom joke thing, but he's like, okay, something is going on here, though. Well, because Wanda is pregnant, her powers are behaving erratically, so it would make sense if she was controlling this that she would be losing a bit of control right now. I wonder if that means in the next episode we're going to get a snap back into the sitcom reality. I wonder that too. Uh, Vision enters the house and I love this. Wanda is eating different fruit throughout the course of the episode and it always corresponds to what stage of the pregnancy she's at. Yeah, so she, there's a bowl on the table of pears and a single papaya and she's gotten bigger since Vision was walking dr nielsen out and when she turns around she knocks over the papaya with her belly and vision catches it and then in the next scene wanda is eating the papaya yeah and and he makes a joke about how he can't wait to be a proud papaya 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 -ya. uh yeah he's already he's already ready to be a dad with those jokes so Wanda is getting their spare room set up to be a nursery. With magic. With magic. But apparently they already had all of this stuff at the ready. Or maybe the opening credits were sort of establishing what they had been doing for the rest of the day leading up to this. We do see them shopping at, like... Baby stores and baby stuff. Baby stores and stuff. Okay, so maybe the credits are canon here. Okay, so I might be overthinking things. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. When we see Wanda magically putting together the crib, 
she's, you know, using magic to put it together, but it's coming together the way that you would assemble it. Mm -hmm. And it's being screwed in with one of those screws that you use an Allen wrench with, like all the Ikea furniture is. Mm -hmm. And as we were watching this, I was thinking, did they have that in the 70s? I'm not certain. But now as I'm thinking about it, I'm realizing, and as I said, I might be reading too much into this. That's a hex screw. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that so much. I mean, I, I might... You, you could be reading too much into it, but if you're not, I love that so much. It's the little things that really make it. And, I mean, honestly, once once I realized, oh, duds, hexagons, I started looking, and there's a lot of hexagon stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. There's, like, it's in the curtains, it's in some of the wallpaper downstairs. It's in the pattern of the couch? Yeah. Which, I, I don't know, maybe that was just what fashions looked like back then, but... I, no, I feel like we had more plaid in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I, I that's definitely a purposeful decision. Yeah. And again, it could be a lot of other things. It could be, it could be AIM, it could be... Uh, it could be a lot of different organizations, but I like to think that it's a, it's about... Wanda's hex power. Yes. So Wanda starts to feel the baby kicking. Mm-hmm. And she says it feels fluttery. And as she says this, the mobile she's been putting up that has butterflies on it comes to life. And the butterflies fly away. <laughs> Which I love. Yes. And uh, she she mentions that she's feeling a little out of control with her powers. Although, honestly, come on. It's Billy. It's, it's obviously Billy doing it from... The womb, like he's Wyatt Hollowell or something. Yes. Well, I mean, that is a trope. Infants doing things from the womb is definitely a trope. So the vision says this must mean that she's six months pregnant if she's feeling kicks. Mm-hmm. I felt kicks after like the second month. Just putting that out there. We had a very active baby and still do have a very <laughs> active baby, though. Yeah. Although I, I, they weren't kicks. I mean, I, I said kicks, but really what I was feeling was her... Like, rolling. Mm. So, Wanda wants to name the child Tommy. Mm. And Vision wants to name the child Billy. And, of course, this caused Max and I to squeal because Tommy and Billy, those are the names of Wanda's twins in the comics. Okay. 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 So, I knew this was happening. I knew this was happening since the first trailer for WandaVision dropped and she had the two bassinets. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming in the first episode. I knew it was coming. I really knew it was coming in the second episode. And yet, when we reached the third episode and they started arguing over whether or not to name the child Billy or Tommy, it got me. And I knew it was coming. I was like, oh my God. It's 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 Billy, uh, well, Billy Kaplan and Tommy Shepard because, God, Wanda's kids are a continuity nightmare, but... We can't even get into that. Let's just say Wanda has twins named Tommy and Billy, which she does, and not get into the continuity nightmare. Although I do want to get into a little something from the comics here. Oh, by all means. Okay, so in the comics, Billy, which here Vision is like, you know, after William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. In the comics, it's actually after his, uh, he got his brain patterns from Wonder Man. Right. Simon Williams. And it's a, it's a nod to his brother and adopted family okay well i mean that makes sense because in a year in the life he connects with the man whose brain patterns formed his brain as a synthesoid he connects with that 
brain person, the person who is that brain, Mm -hmm. and also that person's mother, and, like, the mother takes in Vision as another son. It's honestly really touching. Yeah. Uh, So that makes sense that he would want that connection to his family. Okay, but... I'm surprised you didn't just take Williams as a last name. Vision doesn't have a last name. Seriously. And when Wanda was married to him in the comics, she had no last name because she took his last name. She took his lack of a last name? Yes. Which, seriously, dude, just take Williams, but whatever. Tommy's... The origin of Tommy's name is even dumber than that because you think, oh, why wouldn't he just name, you know, Billy Simon after if he wanted to do like a credit. I guess it's for his whole adopted family, in which case he could have just taken their last name. But Tommy is named after the creator of the original Human Torch, Phineas Horton, whose middle name is Thomas. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to name him after the creator of the original Human Torch, except he'll get beat up if his name is Phineas, so we'll just take his middle name. And I'm like, that feels too detached. That feel- Why didn't you just name him Jim after the original Human Torch if you're going to do that? I... But whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Or hell, just name him Phineas. Who cares? Mm, well, yeah, Finn. Yeah. Finn's a good name. Yeah. Also, Phineas Horton was think alive at that point also you know what helps a kid not get beat up having literal goddamn superpowers <laughs> i mean not always because i just real i said that even as we're talking about the x-men so yeah. maybe that's not the argument i think it is but also if he's gonna get beat up for being a mutant that's already in the cards anyway back in wandavision vision is practicing Diaper changes on a, on a doll that they have for some reason. I guess they probably bought it while they were buying all of the other baby stuff. I guess so. Maybe. A doll which very specifically has Tony Stark's colors on its dress. Oh, that's really interesting that you said that. Okay, her dress is red. Mm-hmm. And we can see a, a yellow patch and a blue patch. So that's also... That's vision colors, too. Vision and Wanda colors. But keep in mind that there are patches on this doll. And actually, they're not patches. They're pockets. Hmm. This is going to be important. Really? Sort of. Okay. So vision is practicing changing the diaper at super speed. Okay, granted, I'm not super up on all of the vision's powers because he has kind of a lot and they change all the time. But the series has been putting an emphasis on his super speed, which I do think is one of the things he's capable of. It's not his main power, but I think he is faster than normal. I think it is one of his powers. Oh, but whose main power is super speed? Hmm. Hmm. Could it possibly be Wanda's brother, Pietro Quicksilver? The guy who died really, really awkwardly in Age of Ultron because everyone did everything awkwardly in Age of Ultron because Age of Ultron's an awkward-ass movie. In the kitchen, Wanda is now eating a pineapple because she is even more pregnant than she was before. And she's also experiencing Braxton Hicks contractions. Mm. Yeah. Vision's able to tell her that that's what it is because through this whole episode, he's been reading... The Better Homes and Gardens baby book that explains everything about pregnancy. I mean, I know it's a legitimate thing, but always takes me back to uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, Better Homes and Gardens? Yeah, in in the song Somewhere That's Green, where Audrey is talking about her her ideal sort of life. Yes. 
Out, something out of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Yeah. Yeah. So the vision also tries to get Wanda to do Lamaze breathing, although he doesn't call it Lamaze breathing. He just calls it her breathing exercises. I wonder if that's like registered or something, Lamaze. I was noticing that too. Lamaze breathing, like the Lamaze exercises, that was a thing that started up in the 1950s. I just feel like every TV show got really excited about showing Lamaze breathing. I mean, like, definitely a lot of the major sitcoms of the 90s, if a character was pregnant, you would have a Lamaze class episode. Yeah, yeah. Our baby came early, before we had time to do a Lamaze class. So I, I when I gave birth... Basically, the majority of instruction I had, like the two most helpful things to me, mm-hmm. was a, an exercise for withstanding pain that we had done in my prenatal yoga class, mm-hmm. and the song about how horrifying childbirth is from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The Miracle of Birth, which is a very funny, incredibly graphic song. Yeah. So... Vision tells Wanda to start her Lamaze breathing, and immediately the house starts freaking out. Faucets turn on, the lights are blinking on and off, everything's shaking, and then the power goes out. And then we get a shot of Emma Caulfield being a superstar for 10 seconds of screen time, and it's amazing. She comes out, you'll remember Emma Caulfield plays Dottie, the kind of grand dame of this cul-de-sac the queen of the cul-de-sac yes she uh, she rules with a iron fist or a satan claw if you will <laughs> she comes out of her kitchen we see her house she comes out of her kitchen and her husband jones the guy with the mustache who was fired in the first episode and whose grand piano got turned into a sheet of cardboard in the second episode he's sort of the I don't want to say hate sink. He's the butt monkey of the show. You know how shows have a character that everything bad happens to, like the Jerry mm-hmm. from Parks and Rec. Or or the Xander from Buffy, which makes sense because this is the guy that Emma Caulfield's married to. Which is weird because she rules the neighborhood. She's this like very high and mighty powerful woman, but she's married to this schlub. Yeah, it's very strange. It made me question since this sequence is so short if that was actually emma caulfield until i hit you know 10 seconds back although god i love this joke she comes out and she says do these earrings make me look fat and jones is just frozen for a second and then the power goes out and he says oh thank god (laughs) uh vision notes that the power seems to be out for the whole neighborhood and one's like oh and that one's just a fake contraction who knows what'll happen when the real thing goes down, which, when do you think that's going to happen? This is the first time she seems actually kind of panicked about it. Well, she asks Vision if he thinks the neighbors have figured out that she's doing all of this, that she's the one who's weird. And Vision thinks about it and he says, you know what? We had that really weird dinner with, you know, my boss. With the hearts. Yeah. And... And there was a thing outside with Herb. Where he was cutting through the wall. And Vision realizes that something is wrong. And then it kind of zooms a little bit in on Wanda. And I love this so much. I love this so much. The scene skips. Yes. So previously when Wanda changed something, it rewound back to the moment she wanted it here. Here it looks like just a jump cut, like an awkward cut. No, no, I'm, I'm. Sorry to overwrite you. No, go ahead, go ahead. 
what this reminds me of more than anything else is watching a bad DVD. Watching a DVD where there's a scratch or something and there's just this sort of weird jump reset. Like there's something wrong with this, with the with whatever's conveying this stuff to you and not within the show itself. No, you're right. I was trying to think of the right way to convey it. That's, that is what it's like. It's like a DVD, a scratch DVD kind of skipping. Yeah. And it skips back to Wanda asking if the neighbors know that she's weird. And Vision is like, you know what? I'm worried too, but we can overcome this. It'll be okay. And it, it becomes more of a sitcom, like, pep talk than an actual conversation about how concerned they are about things kind of a, a granted literally basically literally everything i know from uh the brady bunch comes from those uh, movies you showed me the like kind of parody brady bunch movies that came out in the 90s yeah in the 90s with that guy from office space yes with gary cole as mr mike brady, brady. yeah and uh shelly long as carol brady the part she was born to play. Those movies were so good. They were good. I I wasn't sure revisiting with them with you if they would hold up because obviously I loved them as a child. And I feel like they mostly did. I mean, there was a couple awkward things hmm. as with any movie in the 90s. As with anything from any point in the past up to and including a few years ago, apparently. Yeah, yeah. But I, yes, I enjoyed rewatching them. I was just, at first I was just sitting there waiting for the memes, but then I, I ended up enjoying them quite a bit. But the speech is interrupted by Wanda actually going into labor, which sends Vision up into the air. He had theorized that if the, uh, you know, pregnancy accelerated at the rate it seemed to be accelerating at, she would give birth on Friday, but it seems like things are kind of picking up here at the end stage, which, uh, you know. That is how pregnancy works. I mean... In that it's unexpected and timing isn't always exact. Mm. As, as we can very much attest to. Wanda is pretty calm throughout all this. She talks the vision down, which is a sitcom trope, but also a very stark difference in their two attitudes here. Mm-hmm. Because the sitcom trope is, you know, oh, you know, the wife's the one giving birth, but the husband's panicking. And yeah. normally, you know, oh, th- that's where the humor is. But here it's like, okay, but... Wanda should be panicking more than she is. Hi, this is Editing Tina coming to you from the future with a trigger warning. We are talking in the next section about magical pregnancies, which come with a whole host of consent issues. So if that is something that might trigger you or make you feel uncomfortable, please skip ahead 8 minutes and 15 seconds and we will meet you there. I feel like on some of our other podcasts, we've talked about sort of the horror of magical pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Because it is, especially if you're, <laughs> especially if you're in something Joss whedon Yeah, magical pregnancies are unsettling. It's, I mean, it's your body behaving in a way that is out of your control in the most fundamental sense. Uh, we have to talk about Avengers 200, don't we? What is What happened? I don't know Avengers 200. Okay, big content warning here. Big, big oh. content warning here. Wait, is this the thing with where Carol has gets pregnant? Yeah. This oh, is okay, yeah. What, I forget what, there, there was a feminist critic whose name I don't remember, but she referred to the storyline, which I think is 
appropriate as the rape of Carol Danvers. And it's a storyline that gets mentioned basically never again. Chris Claremont kind of really did his best to undo it and kind of bury it. Mm -hmm. Brian Bendis actually had a... Jessica Jones make a joke about it while she was giving birth, which was kind of awful. But other than that, it basically never gets referenced. This scenario happened in an Avengers anniversary issue where Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel at the time, Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel now, woke up several months pregnant. And she was freaking out about it. She had no idea how it happened. She goes to the Avengers for help. And everyone's just treating it like, a regular pregnancy everyone's like oh you know we're gonna buy the kid toys and he's gonna have so many you know aunts and uncles and she's freaking out because no one is taking the situation seriously until she gives birth and then the baby starts growing at a supernatural rate and it turns out it was this guy marcus who lives in this other dimension who wanted to come to this dimension because he had fallen in love with carol danvers so he brought her into his dimension used machines to mind control her into having sex with him and then possessed the baby and made it grow to full manhood after she gave birth to it and then used his mind control powers to take her back with him into his home dimension because the Avengers was really badly written for a really long time. We talked about this some. Uh Uh-huh. But it's a situation that, like, it's treated as a positive thing in the story. The story's like, oh, Carol found her true love, and now she's going to go with him into this other dimension. And Chris Claremont, who is a very large Carol fan, brought her back in the X-Men and then had her flip out at the Avengers because what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basic girl code to not let your intoxicated friend go off with the guy yeah and she's she's mind controlled here this is not okay in the avengers vague defense it's kind of implied that he was using his machines to make like his his mind control powers to make everyone else okay with it and carol wasn't affected by them because he was in her body as the fetus Mm -hmm. and that's why as soon as she gave birth to him she fell under his sway But it's still really, really messed up, and they sort of don't ever deal with the fallout because no one wants to reference the story ever again. Well, I had wondered if I was going to bring up Rosemary's Baby, Mm -hmm. because we are dealing with a magical pregnancy. Rosemary's Baby isn't time-appropriate, though. It's from the 60s, not the 70s. But, you know, as long as we're talking about... Stuff from the past. Well, and in this case, demonic pregnancies. Mm. Assuming we're getting the whole Mephisto thing, which... Yes. Now, I mentioned uh, Ira Levin's book, Stepford Wives, in a previous episode when we were talking about Stepford Wives. And Ira Levin also wrote Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't... Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, right? Now, what I didn't say at the time is that in Stepford Wives, the thing that's horrific is that... Essentially, that book is an argument for no-fault divorce. Mm -hmm. The women don't become robots, which is what happens in the... 2000s movie. In the 2000s movie. And also what I think a lot of people think happens in that movie slash book. I think most people think that... uh, People who haven't read it or seen it think that the women are turned into Stepford Wives 
No, the women are murdered and replaced with robots because this is a time when you could not get a divorce. So the, You couldn't get a no-fault divorce. You couldn't get a no-fault divorce. You could only get a divorce under certain circumstances. But the point is, when you were able to get a no-fault divorce, rates of husbands killing their wives decreased a statistically significant amount. So the real horror of Stepford Wives is that kind of violence. And in Rosemary's Baby... The real horror is not the magical pregnancy. The real horror is that no one will listen to Rosemary, who is telling all of these people there's something wrong here, and no one will listen to her. At one point towards the end, she goes to her doctor, and she knows that she sounds crazy, so she doesn't want to tell him that she believes that she's pregnant with the Antichrist, which she is. By the way, just... To take it into a little comics direction before, it wasn't until we were talking about Rosemary's Baby more that I realized how blatantly Raven's backstory from the Teen Titans is just ripped straight out of Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So she goes to her doctor and not wanting to sound, you know, hysterical and not wanting to sound delusional, she tells her doctor that her neighbors are cultists and her husband has kind of started to fall into their cult, and she's really concerned that they are going to take her baby. She doesn't say there's anything supernatural. She just says that she's very uncomfortable with the way her husband has been treating her. And the doctor's response is to call her husband to come get her. Mm -hmm. The horror in Rosemary's Baby is not listening to the pregnant woman telling you that there's something wrong. And... I don't even know where I was going with this. See, the thing is, there are all of these very specific tropes associated with magical pregnancies that kind of aren't in this episode. And I feel like that's because, unlike most magical pregnancy stories we're assuming here, Wanda's the progenitor of this magical pregnancy. Yeah, sorry. Yes, that's that's what I was coming around to. If Wanda is not in control of what's happening to her body, that's a horror trope we're used to seeing. And we're used to it being tied to actual real life anxieties about women being allowed to control their own bodies. And here, Wanda is completely sanguine. Which we're all kind of running off the assumption that this is something she did herself. Right. And in fact, her calmness is evidence that this is Wanda doing this. Which, God willing, she is because, A, I really, I, I anticipate that they're setting up a Young Avengers movie and they probably don't want that to be. This is still a Disney property. They probably don't want... Unfortunate implications? Yes. And B... A lot of the material it's based off of, Wanda used her powers to get herself pregnant. Wanda's pregnancy was intentional and, you know. Yeah, in, in, in the comics. Yeah. And, and we assume here too. So we're going to follow this deep dive of mystical and demonic pregnancies and the terrible implications thereof with the joke of rain falling from the ceiling in the house and Wanda saying, uh-oh, my water broke. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's not, I know that's kind of a later show, but 
kind of reminds me of a lot of the shenanigans that happened when Piper was pregnant with Wyatt and Charmed. Mm, yes. There's a lot of her powers going haywire, everything sort of affecting the reality around it, including, weirdly enough, powers going off. Right before Piper gives birth to Wyatt, everyone loses their powers, which does not happen here. But Um, does it? Let's discuss that. Let's, let's put a pin in that. Mm. Commercial break. Commercial break. So, I was amazed. You showed me this right after we watched uh, the episode, and uh, it got posted on our uh, Facebook group. Yeah, I just wanted to, to point out since uh, uh, that Ryan posted a link to the commercial in our Facebook group, not the WandaVision commercial, the commercial it is basically a shot-for-shot remake of. Mm. Although, I do really like this. Uh, there's, it's this overwhelmed woman who's, like, she's burned the roast, her kids are playing soccer in the house, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, her daughter, it's, it's the same woman from the other commercials. Her daughter in this is black. I did notice that. Which, I... I don't think that means anything significant story-wise. I think it's just, uh, I think it's just a, a cool background thing. Well, I think it's significant because... It's so out of this era. I don't know if you remember this, but in the like late 2000s, early 2010s, mm-hmm. there was a Cheerios commercial that had a uh, an couple, an interracial couple who had, you know, a child uh, who was mixed race. And it was just, it wasn't part of the commercial. The commercial was just like the white mom telling the daughter to wake up the dad who was black. And the daughter waking him up by pouring Cheerios on him. The race had nothing. Race had nothing to do with the commercial, but racist, racists freaked the hell out. And there was like, there were all of these people who were you know, like talking about. It's the same thing you get whenever anything vaguely progressive happens anywhere. But the thing is, so when you say out of this time period, you mean. Not this is out of the 70s, but this is something that wouldn't have happened in the 70s. Yes. Outside of this time period. Yes. In the 70s, you would not have a woman who had a child of a different race in a commercial. Mm-hmm. That would not have happened. I'm assuming, just based off of the huge kerfluffle the Cheerios thing ha- you know, had, I don't know, maybe, but given what a... Big deal it was for some people. For some reason, I don't get it at all. I, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we have an idea that history is moving towards progressive ideals, but that's not always accurate. Uh, it's I, true. History is not a straight line. So yeah, there there was an episode of the Brady Bunch where a family adopts three children. I believe one is black one is white and one is chinese and they're all like eight years old and they're best friends with each other and the family adopts all three of them and the episode is about racism and why you shouldn't be racist and it was actually a backdoor pilot that didn't get picked up that was going to be about that family Uh. so i'm not a hundred percent certain it wouldn't have aired in the 70s but it well, I mean, in the context of a commercial. Yes, yes. Because if there's one thing companies don't like inviting, it's controversy. Until traditional advertising stopped working, and then the only way to get your company talked about is by inviting controversy, but that's a whole different set of pickles for another time. In fact, as long as you brought this up, I'm going to bring up something that you mentioned when we were watching the episode, 
which is that Vision in this episode has kind of a a long, shaggy 70s haircut. But men in the 70s on television did not have that haircut because television always has to be just a little more buttoned down than culture is currently. I mean, when watching this episode, when I saw the vision, I was like, you know who this guy reminds me of? He reminds me of pictures I've seen of my dad and his friends in the 70s. Like, this is very what people actually look like in that time period or alternatively what people look like in movies in that time period because right he, he has kind of a robert redford as a professor in some movie oh yeah totally i get that vibe uh, but then you know having recently watched all of the mary tyler moore show i don't think there was a single man who had hair that long yeah yeah except yeah no yeah which my god the last season of the mary tyler moore show is garbage Sorry, that's a whole different thing, but... That's a different podcast? Wait for our other podcast, Welcome to WJM? Did everyone not want to be there anymore? It's so bad. I don't think so, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, so the commercial is about this woman who's very overwhelmed. She's got too much stuff going on. She needs a soak, because this is before staycations became a thing, but since, you know, she is a kid and presumably maybe a job... Possibly. The announcer says to her, do you need a break? And she replies, you read my mind. Mm. And he says, escape to a world all your own. Mm. Mm. Subtle. Yeah. And uh, she is doing a Hydra soak because Hydra is apparently, uh, it cuts to her in a bathtub on a beach. And Hydra soak is the... uh, Soap that is helping this woman relax. The bath powder. Yeah. So we're assuming Hydra has something to do with, at least, I I still do think that Wanda is the one who got this started, but I'm guessing Hydra is trying to take advantage of it somehow or something. Well, as long as we're keeping track, Mm -hmm. this commercial is for a Hydra product. The commercial- Last week. Last week was for a Hydra product. But the commercial in the first episode was for a Stark Industries product. So as long as we're keeping a tally, hmm. that's the score right now. The commercial that this is referencing, I don't think we actually said, is Calgon bath yes. powder. The the Calgon take me away was the was the well known tagline. If you search for Calgon take me away, you'll the commercial that this is a remake of will pop up on YouTube. Or if you go to our Facebook group, Ryan has helpfully posted it there. I was gonna say that, yes. Yeah. So, back in reality, the show. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, back in WandaVision. The living room is raining and then suddenly stops. Wanda is in labor now. Yes. And she and the living room and the vision, they're all soaked. So she uses her power to create a super powerful wind. and blow dries the whole house. Yes. And as long as we're talking about who's in control, she kind of leans into the wind like she's Leonardo DiCaprio on the bow of the Titanic and just seems to really be enjoying it. Whereas Vision seems to barely be able to stay standing. And uh, That's two Leonardo DiCaprio references in one podcast. So she tells him that he should go get the doctor. He super speeds off and... Wanda starts going into labor all by herself, which... TV labor, by the way. I just I just think of that scene in 30 Rock where Avery is in labor and they're in the van trying to get 
back from Canada and John Cho's character is surprised to discover she's actually in labor because her her labor pains all sounded so sitcom-y. Yeah, Wanda is in sitcom labor. Guess who's at the door? Uh, Geraldine looking amazing. I love her outfit so much. Wanda throws on a coat. Yeah, we get a little tour in this next scene of the various ways that women have had to hide pregnancies when they were playing non-pregnant characters on television. Yes, we don't get the how I met your mother. We only see Lily at the bar. That's true. But we do get the giant coat, much like, I mean, everybody's used a giant coat. But the one I'm thinking of most recently is the giant coat Elizabeth Montgomery was wearing when she was first pregnant. Mm. So Wanda wears a giant coat. Later, she'll be uh, holding fruit bowls and other things in front of her stomach. Yes. But... Geraldine points out, Geraldine, God, I love her outfit so much. It's like this white kind of puffy shirt that has this very kind of tight blue dress with these giant buttons on over it. And these bell bottoms that have fish a fish pattern on them. Well, it's, it's a vest. It's a vest that just buttons at the bust, but then is kind of like tunic length. Mm-hmm. And yes, and then bell bottoms with, did you say with fish on them? Yeah, fish pattern. Yeah, yeah. Well, she kind of pushes her way into the room. She, she needs a bucket. She needs a bucket because of Be- what's been going on. Yeah, her house started flooding too when Wanda's water broke. And she has a story about her temp job, which this is a very different Geraldine than we got in the first uh, episode we saw Geraldine, which was the second episode. Yeah, she seemed kind of nervous. Shrinking Violet-y. Yeah, although... I will say she, she says to, she said to Wanda that her pants were peachy keen. And when she pushes her way into the house here, she tells Wanda that the coat she's wearing is foxy. Hmm. I feel like she's trying to be the hip person. And she didn't know how to be the hip person in the 1960s when she was in this kind of Stepford nightmare. But now that she's in the 70s, she knows how to be the hip person. Also relevant, she has an afro now. Yes, yes, she does. She has an afro now. Honestly, the character does remind me of kind of the sort of drop-in characters you would get in this sort of show. Well, yeah, I mean, she comes in and she tells a funny and wild story in a... Rhoda-esque manner. (laughs) Yes, yes. A story about working at her advertising agency and the ads they were doing for this serial with Marshmallow Moon Men. Okay, so I think an interesting thing about the humor here is kind of, like I said before, it's sort of broader, but it's also coming less from characters telling jokes and more from characters having broad cartoonish reactions to things other people are doing. Hmm, interesting. Because the humor in the scene comes from Wanda trying to hide the pregnancy at first, which I love it because her coat, she her powers keep on changing what coat she's wearing, and when it, it bamps into a fur coat, and she's like, oh no, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she hides it with a bowl of fruit. She's also hiding from... Because the coat just poofs away. Yes. So now she's hiding from Geraldine also the fact that there is a live stork walking around in the house. And Wanda's trying to subtly, you know, hex it away and failing to do so. Because I guess as in control as she is, the stork is here, Wanda. There is no getting rid of it. 
Well, remember, earlier in the episode when they were setting up the nursery... They painted a stork on the wall. They painted a stork on the wall, and when the butterflies came alive, she's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. So I'm assuming it's Billy who brought the stork alive from the womb, and that's why her powers aren't affecting it. Oh, okay, I was just thinking more... I was thinking more metaphorically and less literally what's happening, and it's just like, you know, at some point, the stork is here, and biology's gonna take over, and there's nothing to be done. I mean, it does work. Straightforward as a metaphor because she is going actively into labor at this point and she can't stop it no matter how hard she tries. I really, I, I don't know who the actress who plays Geraldine is, but her her timing is pitch perfect. She is just building on the story and the story is not funny in and of itself, but the way she's telling it is because she, she does the thing that we saw a lot in the Mary Tyler Moore show where the story's kind of built on reverses. Mm-hmm. Where you set up, you know, what was that Georgette joke? Was it like an uncle of hers who uh, who couldn't smell so he ran into a garbage truck? Yes. To... He, 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 yes, she had an uncle who couldn't smell and that killed him because he stepped in front of a garbage truck. But the garbage truck didn't hit him. A motorcycle hit him because he didn't see the motorcycle because he ran into a garbage truck. He, well, because he stepped in front of a garbage truck, which he wouldn't have done if he had been able to smell. So he died from not having a sense of smell. Yeah. The the story kind of builds it up so she keeps on reversing what happened. And the story is kind of like that. She talks about how she she's a temp. Her latest temp job has been at an advertising agency where uh, she's trying to come up with a thing to sell these marshmallow moon men. Is yes. this an Inhumans thing? Are the Inhumans Marshmallow Moon Men? We bring this up because the Inhumans are, they live on the moon. Mm-hmm. The Inhumans are, uh, you know what? We can't get into what the Inhumans are. Let's just say that they are another set of people in the Marvel Universe. And I think we talked about them briefly last episode or the episode before. They may or may not be relevant depending on how dead Pietro is by the end. Pietro Wanda's brother. Depending on how dead he is by the end of this series, they may or may not be relevant again. In the comics, when all of this is going down, Wanda's brother is living on the moon with his wife, who is an Inhuman. Yes. But the stork... Which Geraldine does not notice because Wanda is successfully distracting her. Leans over and tries to eat her bell bottoms because of the fish. Okay, so are we assuming Geraldine isn't seeing the stork because of sitcom rules? Because this is a very sitcom thing where a character is engaging in very obvious deception, but the person they're deceiving doesn't pick up on it because that's how sitcoms work. Or do you think Geraldine's aware and she's just trying to play by the rules of the narrative? I think she is not aware because at one point she hears the stork and gets really concerned and she drops the sitcom voice. And she says, what was that sound? It sounded like. And Wanda says, oh, that's our ice maker. And then Geraldine goes back into the sitcom voice because her fears have been assuaged and she is not breaking out anymore. Yeah, it, yeah. This actress is so good. She she freaking kills this monologue. Like, she, I'm not saying it's all in one take, but it is. If it's not in one take, then it, it feels like it's in one take. It's this really, really long monologue that keeps building on itself, and she sells it. It's very it's a very era-specific kind of way of telling a story. And uh, it, it ends with her going to their spare room to pick up some tools. Yes, uh, this actress, by the way, she played Dawn, D-O-W-N, mm-hmm. in Mad Men. Oh. Yeah. Dawn, 
D-A-W-N was Dawn, D-O-N's secretary in later seasons. Uh, yeah. So I guess she's got kind of a, a history with playing uh, period piece characters. Yeah, yeah. So they go into the spare room, which Geraldine sees has been turned into a nursery. And then Wanda drops the bowl of fruit and Geraldine sees that she is pregnant. And in fact, in labor. She says the baby is coming. Meanwhile, Vision, who isn't a lot less of this episode, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know, but he, it feels like he is kind of in less of the episode. He zooms over to Dr. Uh, Nielsen. Nielsen, grabs him. He, uh, Dr. Nielsen is, you know, getting the car packed for his vacation. Actually, he's fixing the car uh. because he's trying to get away from this town and the car has broken down. Hmm. Yes. Shades of our first podcast, which was about Once Upon a Time, which also had a town no one could leave because of magic. Yes. Uh, Geraldine is helping Wanda out. She's just rolling with this situation. Yeah, she sees all of the stuff that Wanda's magic is doing, like the vacuum cleaner turns on by itself. and One of the, uh, one of the pictures on the wall is spinning around. The lights are going on and off. And... Geraldine says, I'm sure there is a logical explanation for this, and you can tell it to me later. And Wanda is freaking out because childbirth is scary and horrifying. It's kind of funny because Geraldine's like, what you're going through is perfectly natural. And Wanda's like, Ew. But then Geraldine drops the sitcom voice again and says, you can do this. Look at me. You can do this. And she is, you know... A non-sitcom person. She's a person talking a woman in labor through giving birth at home unexpectedly. God, I really hope we find out that Wanda and Geraldine, Monica, let's be fair. Let's be real here. It's Monica Rambeau. Which we know because that's how she's credited. Yes. So. But I hope this is hinting that they actually had a relationship before whatever started here yeah all of the things that happen where geraldine slash monica drops the sitcom moment makes me feel like she has genuine affection for wanda and that they are genuinely close so yeah i hope that's true so the baby is born magically there is a blanket to wrap around him very, very sitcom tropey, or I guess all of television tropey, in, in that the baby is totally clean. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it took me a couple of watches of this before I said to myself, where did that blanket just come from? <laughs> like, the baby is instantly wrapped in a blue and white striped blanket. Like, Wanda birthed him with a blanket, which is good because she doesn't birth the placenta. And, you know, that's an important part of the process. To be fair... She is not done yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, Vision and the doctor arrive and Monica slash Geraldine takes the doctor into the kitchen so that Vision and Wanda can have a moment with the baby alone. And it's super touching. And that baby is gigantic. That is That baby is one year old if he's a day. That is a very, very large baby. Again, again, super sitcom trope for the baby to be big. Yeah. And... Also, the babies grew pretty fast, so... You know what? That's fair. That's fair. So Wanda's like, I want you to meet your son. And Vision goes over to her, and she's like, no, show him your real face. So Vision becomes Vision again, and he 
picks up the baby and calls it Tommy because it just seems right. This baby is a Tommy. Wait. Yeah, he calls the baby Tommy even though Billy had been his preferred name. Huh. That's weird. I thought he went with his preferred name and... No, but... no, he, he called the baby Tommy even though Billy was his preferred name. Yeah, it's just... It, it seemed right to him in the moment. And then Wanda starts screaming again and tells Vision that Billy's coming now. Yep. Surprise, second baby. Uh, you, you asked me when we were watching the episode if Billy or Tommy was canonically older. Mm-hmm. And the answer is I kind of don't know. There, there's sort of a point of contention in like there, there, there's a miniseries that deals with the fallout from something involving Asgard where uh, Tommy is insisting that he's the older brother and Billy's like it's kind of hard to know what with the whole retro reincarnation thing and he's like yeah but I'm obviously the older brother okay (laughs) but unclear basically unclear probably doesn't matter so we do a little flip cut to the babies having been born and everyone is happy and clean and The doctor compliments Monica and tells her that if she puts her nose to the grindstone and works really hard, she could be a wonderful nurse. Mm. And Geraldine does the same kind of tight-lipped, you know, a man is being sexist at me, but I don't feel like now is the place to call it to attention. Smile that Wanda did earlier. A face that she had plenty of time to perfect while being a character on Mad Men. Mm. (laughs) So the vision... Back, back in his human face, walks, uh, walks, walks the doctor out, and he's like, "Oh well, so go have fun on your vacation." And the doctor's like, "I don't think we're gonna go." And the vision's like, "Well, why not?" And the doctor says, "Well, you know, that's the thing about small towns. Sometimes it's impossible to get away." He says, "So hard to escape." Mm. Oof. And Vision sees that Herb is still standing at the at the wall at the cement wall between their house. And now Agnes is there, too, and they're having a conversation. And they're clearly talking about Wanda. Agnes talks about having seen Geraldine going into the house, and she says something that makes it sound like she knew that Wanda was pregnant. That Wanda looked bigger. Yeah. And as soon as Vision comes up to the two of them, Agnes snaps to it, and she's like, Oh, did you lose power too? I gotta say, my husband Ralph sure looks better in the dark. Another Ralph reference. Actually, Vision is the one who says, did you lose power too? And Agnes says yes, which makes me think that she lost her witch powers while everything was going haywire with the birth. So we cut back into the house where Wanda has the two babies in the uh, in the crib, in the rocker i guess it's a bassinet bassinet and okay this is the part that made me cry i feel like i'm gonna cry again just talking about it she tells geraldine that she was a twin too that you know what you do this part okay okay so the thing is this episode and specifically this scene is way more emotional it has way more emotional resonance than literally anything that's happened in the mcu up to this point i mean i didn't cry when pietro actually died (laughs) yeah it was like a who effing cares when pietro actually died but wanda telling telling geraldine that she had a brother and that his name was pietro and just sort of the implication of 
was his name was pietro and she starts singing in um the sokovian sokovian the fake made-up country uh that she's from and the thing is she's not doing sitcom voice she's just talking to geraldine here and she starts singing to the babies and god i don't know if it's something about being a parent that just makes this sort of thing get you more but Oh, it got me. It got me. It got me way more than... I know a lot of people got sad at the end of Endgame, was it? See, I Endgame didn't emotionally affect me because I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, the char- when the characters that died, died or got written out in the way they did, I went more, oh, I guess those actors' contracts are up. Oh, that was more... <laughs> I, I was thinking, oh, I guess death is meaningless because... They're not going to stay gone if it's somebody who's contracted for more movies, so. Well, the thing is, I think both of those contracts ran out. I'm sorry. You're talking about the end of Endgame. I was thinking of the end of Infinity War, which exhausted me. Yeah, where you're supposed to be sad because all these characters died. But you know they're not going to stay dead because, you know, they signed up for X number of movies. Yes. So, and I get people being sad at, like, has enough time passed that we can talk about it? Yes. The... Statute of Limitations on spoilers for movies is a year after they're released. So I guess I get people being sad about Tony Stark dying. I guess I get people being sad at the whole, oh, it's so touching that Steve went back to be with Peggy, although I feel like that undermines his entire character arc from the Captain America movies. Also raises a lot of time travel questions. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean... Uh, I feel like the point of the Captain America movies is that you can't go back, that you have to keep going forward. And I know they wanted to give Steve a happy ending because Chris Evans wasn't going to be in any of more of these movies, so you might as well give him a good send off. But uh, it, it didn't it didn't touch me emotionally like it touched some people. But this scene got me. And like you said, Petra's death was a nothing in that movie. Well, and speaking of. Geraldine also drops the sitcom voice and says, Pietro, he was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? And that snaps Wanda. Yeah, Wanda does not like this conversation. She asks Geraldine what she said, and Geraldine goes back into sitcom voice and says, I said, you're such a strong lady. And we go back to the Vision, who's at the wall with Herb and Agatha, and he's like, he's pointing out that something's wrong. And Herb and Agatha try to tell him. Yeah, well, and they they say how strange it is that Geraldine has no husband and no home. Mm. And back in that... How that she's a drop-in character. She doesn't have a place here. Yes. Yes. And back in the house, Wanda notices Geraldine's necklace speaking of necklaces oh oh yeah there's we've got a there are two significant necklaces in this sequence wanda points out that monica's necklace has a little sword symbol on it like the helicopter she saw last episode the toy helicopter that she found in the front yard that was in color before everything else was basically the sword insignia that we've been seeing which we're going to assume is the organization sword which is the offensive arm of shield it's sword shield yeah they usually deal with aliens in the comics but yeah that's not really the thing here 
I mean, honestly, I could, I could see Sword as being their magical division. Yeah, that makes sense. Like uh, MI thirteen is for England in a uh, Marvel. Yeah, that makes total sense. But I love Agnes here. I love her. Uh, she she has the second significant necklace. We saw her with a very particular brooch. Yeah, it was a cameo brooch last week, and I noticed it because this week she's wearing a cameo pendant. Agatha Harkness. Yes, and. I noted it because it's not 70s period appropriate. I mean, obviously it's fine. You can wear a cameo whenever, but it's not specifically 70s like everything else. And it's the same cameo she was wearing last week, which, again, is something that the character Agatha Harkness wears. So, you know, that's that's who she is. Agnes is Agatha, according to us, according to our speculation. So... Wanda starts, back in the house, Wanda's interrogating Geraldine, and she's like, what did you say about Pietro? And Geraldine is trying to get back into sitcom mode and can't. Yeah, yeah, Wanda won't let her. And outside, Herb and Agnes are telling Vision, Geraldine is here to, but they won't finish their sentence. They can't. Geraldine is here to... They keep getting pulled back into sitcom mode. You see you see Agnes and you see her breaking and then getting pulled back. And these characters, these actors are doing such a good job shifting between these two modes. Yes. Herb says, she's here because we're all, and he can't finish. And Agnes tells him to stop. Agnes tells him not to finish. It is all very, very creepy. It's very... He'll send you to the cornfield. Mm. And Agnes makes a joke about how she needs to get home and hitch her macrame and then makes a broad wink and she gets the fuck out of there. She's just, she doesn't get paid enough for this shit. And then Herb has a, like, catchphrase. He goes, catch you on the flip side, Vision. And then he kind of just wanders back with his... Uh, Hedge trimmer. With with his hedge trimmer, which has a weirdly short uh, plug. Yeah, there's no way that was plugged into anything when he was cutting his hedges. Like, I guess he could have an extension cord, but like, no, it, it it's it's about the, the fakeness of sitcoms. Like, yes. that did not need a realistically long cord. And Vision goes back into the house and Geraldine is gone. Wanda says she had to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then the music starts playing of... Uh, which I love this song so much. It's uh, Cheer Up Sleepy Jean. Daydream Believer. Daydream Believer. Yes. Sorry. I'm doing the chorus, not the... Uh... Yeah. But we see the out outer part of the town. We see the town line. And there's this red ball of smoke, like when Wanda was trying to poof away the stork. Except, unlike with the stork, this red ball of smoke contains Geraldine, who has been thrown bodily out of the town yes she has been expelled from the town also when she gets thrown out in that red energy ball that hex ball Mm -hmm. it we see it cutting through a dome made out of television static that was not previously visible but is around the town yes and geraldine monica lays on the ground you know that she's been tossed to and is surrounded by military helicopters and trucks and military guys with weapons 
And we see that there's an entire military installation surrounding this bubble of static, which some people thought implied that it was a prison that had been set up by the military. I personally believe that they're there to monitor it after it appeared, much like when we saw the Easter egg with Thor's hammer. Hmm. All right. So I'm going to talk about three different things. One, we already addressed. Well, I should, we should say that's the end of the episode. That's oh. where the episode ends. That is where the episode end, ends. We get the please stand by. So I'm going to talk about three things. Okay. One, we already discussed. House of M which seems to be the big thing people are reading into this. Uh-huh. The second thing I want to talk about is Pleasant Hill. Yes. Okay, so this is when I said that some people think the military outside this bubble implies that this installation was set up by the military. These are people who are thinking that Pleasant Hill is the influence for this show. Yes. Uh, I'm not really a big S.H.I.E.L.D. person, but I picked up on this from just... You know, being a comics person, being a comics person in general, Pleasant Hill was a uh, it was a prison that S.H.I.E.L.D. had set up, I think, while Maria Hill was director. Mm -hmm. But unlike most prisons, the way it kept people contained was by brainwashing them into thinking they lived in this small sort of 1950s era idyllic town and just keeping them contained in this sort of pleasantville-esque prison where no one leaves because everyone just thinks they belong here and this is where they live which isn't the worst idea for a prison in the marvel universe honestly because most prisons that they come up with you know because hey superheroes need villains to punch most prisons don't really hold that long so you got to get kind of creative oh i thought you were talking about from a an ethical standpoint because i feel like it's not a good thing to mess with people's minds like that, but I don't know. It's maybe better than using pim particles to make them tiny and locking them in tiny little boxes. Uh, yeah. What well, was it? The ant hill. That was the other. That was the uh, other uh, prison. I didn't. I just realized that that's that that was supposed to be a jokey name after Pleasant Hill. I had that didn't even that didn't even connect to me until right this moment. Uh, that's the second one, and the third one. Probably unrelated, but maybe not, An Age Undreamed Of, which is an X-Men story that comes out of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, are, you, are you familiar? Nope, nope. Tell me the story. Okay. So it's about this dude that Red Sonja fought. Okay. Kulan Gath. He, he was a Red Sonja villain because Marvel had the Red Sonja license for a while. Uh-huh. I remember that. And they brought him into Marvel continuity by having him fight Spider-Man, and then he ended up creating this because he wanted to get back to his own time mm -hmm. more or less so he created this mystical bubble around new york that made everyone basically D, &D versions of their normal selves it, okay it recontextualized new york city into the world he came from i can see how people would be thinking of that since you know this is a bubble that's been put around people to make them turn into the sitcom versions of themselves yeah, and one of the things with it is when the, the military had New York kind of cordoned off, and when they sent their own guys in there, they just became knights of the realm. Sure. And they had no memories of being S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or whatever, or I guess regular military people. So 
I'm seeing some influence there. I doubt it's a Kulan Gath thing because I feel like there's a lot of licensing issues with Red Sonja. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I can see people looking at this and being like, oh, it's an age undreamed of riff, which I don't think it is. I mean, we're dealing with the Scarlet Witch. It's probably House of M. But the military installation makes me think there could be. It's not entirely unreasonable to think that there might be a a Pleasant Hill. I mean, it makes sense. I just I just don't personally believe that's what's happening. It makes total sense, though. Yeah. I mean, the logical thing is that Wanda started this. And that the military's just kind of cordoning it off. Yeah, I mean, if I'm wrong, I won't be shocked. Yes. So, I don't know if you have anything left in the tank for our segments here, because <laughs> normally what we do is I talk about my favorite TV Easter egg, and you talk about your favorite comics Easter egg. Do you have any... Did you hold anything back? Okay, I, did, I, I didn't, but I'm going to talk about it again, because it made me... It made me squeal when it happened because I knew it was coming, but Billy and Tommy just being the twins being in this episode, even though this was very clearly the arc that they were going for here, mm-hmm. like it, it got me, it got me not going to lie. I was like, ah, it's the, it's the Minimoff twins as they're sometimes colloquially known. Cute, cute. Yeah. And... God, I'm so nervous about where this narrative is going. We're just going to go forward in faith that it's going to be good. They need a Young Avengers movie. (laughs) And they probably don't want to sink Wanda as a character yet. Fingers crossed. So I I mentioned for the TV Easter egg that I was going to come back to the doll with all of the pockets. Mm -hmm. Do you know why she had so many pockets? Is it? It's not. It's not a Polly Pocket thing because her thing was that she fit in pockets. Oh my! Is it? Is it a Twilight Zone thing? No, 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 no. It. The pockets are for carrying things mm-hmm. because that doll was Kitty Carry All. Oh, Cindy Brady's doll from Brady Bunch. Oh, I. I actually. I'm showing Max now. I. I grabbed an image of Kitty Carry All to show it's the exact same doll. Although looking at the image of this doll. All of the pockets that weren't yellow and blue were picked off of the doll mm. before it was shown on screen. Okay, okay. Well done. Well done. I You showed me one episode of The Brady Bunch so we could prepare for this, and I found Cindy viscerally irritating. So I relate to all of the people in the Brady Bunch movie who found her viscerally irritating because they were real people, and that was the conceit of the first Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, I didn't show you the Cindy-focused episode where she loses Kitty Carryall. There's a whole episode where Cindy loses Kitty Carryall. Oh, oh God. So that's like a running thing in the show then, her her having that doll. Oh, yeah. The doll is a significant is a significant doll. In fact, the picture I'm showing you is a picture of the branded doll that ABC produced as a tie-in. You can see it's the box. It says, uh, the box says, the same doll played with on the Brady Bunch on ABC. Oh, God. And the tagline is... She's got a bunch of pockets because B- Brady Bunch and she has a lot of pockets. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Ugh. Ugh, God. Ugh. Kitty carry all. Kitty carry all. Okay, okay, again, I'm disappointed we're getting into the actual meat of the story. I'm also excited that we're getting into the actual meat of the story. Again, they're doing a great job keeping the whole anticipation thing up. God, having it's been so long since I feel like we've had a good mystery show. 
Yeah, I was actually going to say, right now, this is Schrodinger's mystery box show. As long as we don't open the mystery box, by which I mean watch next week's episode, the show can continue to be both good and disappointing. Yes. So I think that does it for this week. I think that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Westview.